welcome. Glad to have you joining in for this second teaching in our Foundational Truth series, which is called The Power of God's Word. You know, as I began to think about and pray about how God would have me present some of this uh, teaching, there's just so much to consider. I mean, the Word of God, to put that into an hour's worth of teaching, how, how do you do that? How do you do that? And so, after just a lot of prayer and seeking the Lord and, and asking Him what He would have me to share with you, I really just believe He wants me to just share with you from the heart. Just some things over the last 15 years that God has impressed upon me about His Word. And so what we're going to be doing through this teaching is just working through some scripture as an overview to encourage you to embrace God's Word as a powerful tool in your life. To see it for what it really is. The spoken, living, breathing Word of God. Now before we really get started, I want to make something very clear that is my own personal opinion from what I've seen in my own life, from what I read in the Word of God, and so I believe it's a biblical opinion, and also from what I see happening in other people's lives as I, as I walk and journey with them through, through our time together. And here's what I believe. Here's what I am persuaded of, convinced of. On our own, we are not going to embrace what God has to say. We're not even going to want to do that. We, we just won't. I tell people all the time, one of the best prayers you can pray is to pray for a love for God's Word. Because God is the author and the finisher of our faith. He alone can give us a heart to hear what He has to say, to want to hear it, and not only to hear it, but to listen to it, to embrace what He has to say. I can tell you from experience that that prayer changed my life. I was a young woman who was pretty much a big hot mess, <laughs> and I knew that I did not embrace the Word of God, and I knew that I needed to, and I began to pray, Lord, Give me a love for your word. If you want me to love your word, give me a love for your word because I can't seem to muster up one on my own. I prayed that prayer for three years and God's answer changed my life. God gave me a love for his word, an embracing of his word. And I can tell you that my embracing of his word as a whole, as the whole counsel of God's word has, has changed my life. And my embracing of his specific calling, his specific word in my life, me as an individual, has totally changed my life as well. God's word is powerful. And I encourage you, no matter where you're at with his word today, if you're somebody that's embraced it a lot, or if you're somebody that just can't seem to get that thing open and read it and even consider what God has to say, or somewhere in between, that you would put at the top of your prayer list, Lord, help me love your word. Give me a heart for your word. Let's pray together. God, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the powerful work it has done in my life. I thank you for how you have used it in many of the ways that I'm going to share about today in this teaching, Lord. I thank you that in your mercy you saw fit to, uh, to put your word before me in a way, Lord, that caused my heart to be drawn toward it. Lord, you're so merciful. On my own, I spurned your word. And yet, Lord, you gave it to me again. 
And not only did you give it to me, you gave me a heart to want to listen to it. And Lord, I just pray for each person that ever listens to this teaching, God, that you would give them a love for your word. I pray that today, as they listen, Lord, that they would have open eyes and open ears, Lord, that you would give them revelation knowledge of what your word truly is. Lord, be with my mouth as I deliver these words. Let them be your words, God. You are a faithful God. We lift you up today, and we have our ears tuned to what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be talking today about some foundational truth about the power of God's Word. And we're just going to start right at the very beginning. And I encourage you to have your Bible out. I'm going to be reading mainly from the New American Standard Version. But whatever version you have, I still encourage you to get it out. Mark some of these scriptures. Write some of them down. You can go back again and look at them again. Because we're just going to kind of walk our way through the Word of God. But if you look in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, the first time that it is recorded that God ever spoke, it says, Then God said, He said, with the spoken word of his mouth. He said, let there be light. And there was light. (laughs) There was light. He said it and it happened. I mean, you cannot get much more powerful than that. The word of God, the spoken word of God created the world. We say created the world because we know as we continue to read on through the first chapter of Genesis, he spoke it and it happened. We read here how he said, let there be light, but many more things came out of his mouth that he said, let there be, and there was. His word created the world. That's powerful. That's very powerful. Go on over to Genesis chapter 2, and God speaks to Adam. Adam was his creation. He speaks to him. In verse 16, We find that the Lord God commanded the man, saying, he spoke these words, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Wow. The spoken word of God set a course for all humanity. We know, and we'll look later, even how Man did not obey this command. He did not embrace this command. But this command still had power over Adam and then Eve, who was yet to be created, and, and over all of humanity, all of, over all of us who live today. He goes on to say, and th- this really impacted man, in verse 18 it says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for a man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And boy, that sure changed the course of history, right? Women coming into into the world? Wow, God's spoken word is powerful. Genesis 3, we see God speaking. In verse 14, the Lord God said to the serpent, we know that the serpent tempted Eve and she fell right into his lies. She partook of the fruit. She didn't obey what God had told her and Adam. And God speaks to the serpent. And what he says here changes history, changes the landscape of what's going to play out in the world now that man has sinned. God also in Genesis chapter 3 spoke to Adam and Eve. And what he spoke to them changed the course of their lives because no longer could they live in the Garden of Eden. 
No longer would they enjoy the sweet presence of the Spirit of God in their lives. They would now be separated and cursed and sent out of the garden. The powerful Word of God. He doesn't speak for nothing. He speaks and it changes history. It changes everything. Go on over to Genesis chapter 4. Adam and Eve had had two children, Cain and Abel. And in chapter 4, we read a conversation, a spoken conversation that God had with Cain. God gave him wisdom and counsel, but Cain did not embrace it. He, he forsook what God had to say. And as a result of that, his whole life was changed. Go on over to Genesis chapter 6. Again, we see God speaking. In verse 3, he says, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he also his flesh. Nevertheless, his days shall be 120 years. You know what? God, God was working. God saw as he looked upon the face of the earth, that his spirit was striving with man who was forsaking his word. And in verse 5, it says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that the thoughts, every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land. But we find that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord and God began to speak a word into Noah's life. He told him to build an ark and he gave him very specific instructions. And we all know the story. These words of God that he gave to Noah not only changed Noah's life, it changed the whole landscape of the world. You go on over to Genesis chapter 11. Genesis chapter 11, verse 6. The, the people had come together to, to build a tower. And in verse 6 it says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all the same language. And this is what they began to do. And now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there and confuse their language so they may not understand one another's speech. And God spoke, let's go do this. They did it and nations were created. Go on over to Genesis chapter 12 and we see a conversation begin that, oh my goodness, what power it had. The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country. He said these words, go forth from your country, from your relatives, from your father's house to a land which I will show you and I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And Abram listened to the Lord and for the most part he embraced what God had to say. And oh my goodness did that not change his life. Did that not set a, a course in which the Messiah would be born through this nation, through a man who, who was so far along in age, he was as good as dead, <laughs> who had never been able to have a child. And God's spoken word changed it all. You keep reading through the book of Genesis, you see God speaking to Isaac, to Jacob, 
to Jacob. Wow, some of the conversations that he had. Then to Jacob's sons. We see God speak to Moses, to Joshua, to the kings and the prophets. And as we keep reading through the counsel of God's word and we see what God says, we see that some of these people embraced what God had to say. They listened with open ears, intent ears. We see that some forsook his word. Some spurned it and said, no thanks. I'll do my own thing. I got an own plan. I'm listening to the people around me. I'm listening to my culture. I'm listening to the world. I'm listening to the desires within me. I don't have time to listen to what you say. But let me tell you this. You cannot read an account in the word of God where God spoke and it did not come to be. Whether or not man embraces the word of God, it doesn't change the power of it. For those who embrace the word of God, it always rang true and it changed their lives to be in the purposes and plans of God's destiny. For those who did not, they also experienced exactly what God said would happen. Now, in a general sense, that just allows you to see some of the power of God's word. We've got to wrap our minds and our brains around this, this idea that God speaks and things happen. In a big worldwide sense, this world, this is, this is God's world. He created it and he has the final say in what happens. His word, his spoken word is powerful. But I want us to look specifically at some scriptures that really have meant something to me that really were so much a part of God's word to one man. God's word to one man. And that man would be David. David was a man who had his ear tuned to the voice of God for the most part. He didn't always listen. He didn't always embrace what God had to say. But for the most part, he was listening and he wanted to hear what God has to say. And I want to read with you a passage to me that is foundational in my life about the word of God in Psalm 1. When I used to teach school in a Christian school, I taught Bible and this was one of the passages that we memorized for sure. I think it is foundational to our lives as believers to understand the contrast of those who listen to the word of God and embrace it and those who forsake it. Listen to what it says. It says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. How many of us keep our ear tuned to what everybody has to say? And you know what? Everyone around you is a sinner. Whether or not they've been saved by grace, we're all sinners, right? At the core of our very nature, we are sinners. We are a depraved people. And yet, how many of us have our ears so tuned to what everyone around us is saying? This says, how blessed is the man who does not do that, who doesn't walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. In other words, instead of being that common person who's always listening to everyone around him, to the voices of those around him, their idle words, their words that are spoken of ignorance and, and lack of understanding, instead, but his delight, his ear is tuned to the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. Now, this word law, that's, that's just another way of, of saying the word of God, what, what God's saying with his mouth. It says, and he, and this is that person who has delighted in the law, the word of God, 
He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. In other words, this person who, who really opens his ears and eyes and heart and delights and embraces the word of God, he's going to be that tree. It's got streams of water always flowing and nourishing. It's going to always be producing its fruit, and its leaf is never going to wither. It's going to be like that evergreen that never, never dies. Whatever he does, he prospers. But verse 4 says the wicked are not so. In other words, the one who is not listening to God's word, that's a wicked person. If you don't listen to the word of God, David realized that's wickedness, to not listen to God's word. He says, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. In other words, if you choose to, to not embrace what God has to say, to turn your ear, to spurn your ear from the word of God, you're going to be like chaff in the wind. Whereas you could be this tree firmly planted by streams of water, listening to the word of God and delighting in it. Instead, you're going to be chaff which is just blown and tossed by the wind. It's like not even realize it, it's so insignificant. Verse 6 says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows. He's got his ear on the person. His ear, his eye on the person who is listening to him with his ear. The Lord knows that one's way. And he's going to pour out blessings on him and stability and life. I mean, this is so important for us to understand the contrast. Which person are we going to be? David, this is on his heart. He says, the way of the wicked is going to perish. God's word to one man, to David. Oh, i got to be that person who listens to the word of God, who embraces it, who delights in it. Turn over to Psalm 19. To Psalm 19. Another psalm of David. In verse 7, he says, The law of the Lord, and remember that's just the word of God, the word of the Lord, the word of God is perfect, restoring the soul. Has the word of God ever restored your soul? Like were you just broken up about something and, and God spoke and all of a sudden you realized and your heart was restored? You, you realized things were different? You realized a different perspective? You saw things in a different light? Has that ever happened for you? It's a beautiful thing when you know the Word of God has restored you, restored your mind, restored your, your heart, restored your emotions, your will. It says the testimony of the Lord. There again, it's another way of saying the Word of God is sure. Making wise is simple. Have you ever said to somebody, are you sure? I mean, I really want to know. Are you sure this is the way to go? Are you sure this is what I need to buy? Are you sure this is a good plan for me? I mean... We want to know that something is sure, right? We don't want something that's kind of squishy and, and, and we're not sure about it, right? This says the word of the Lord, the testimony of the Lord is sure. David was convinced. When God speaks, it always happens. It, it's true. It, it's not going to be this squishy thing that we don't know if it's going to happen or not. And it makes wise the simple. In other words, somebody that even isn't maybe real intelligent on their own, you know, doesn't have the highest IQ, doesn't always, you know, seem to have common sense. Just turn your ear to the testimony of the Lord. It is sure, David says. It's going to make you wise, even if you're just kind of, you know, an average average person, average Joe, you know. 
average Julie. It doesn't matter. You listen, you tune in to the word of God. He says the precepts of the Lord, another way of saying the word of God, the counsel of God, they're right. <laughs> Rejoicing the heart. You know, when we know we're doing right, when we know we're on a right path, it just gives you joy. It just gives you joy. Well, David is saying, look, if God speaks, you can know it's right. Listen to me, he's saying. This is what the word of God has been in my life. And we know that David was a man after God's own heart. He says the commandment of the Lord. Again, another way of saying the words of God, the spoken words of God. It's pure. It's pure. You're not going to find anything faulty, any imperfection, any wrong motivation in the word of God. In God's word to you and your life, in the full counsel of God's word, you're not going to find anything that's, that's shady or sketchy. No, it's pure. And it's going to bring light to your eyes so that you can see the right way to live and to be. David, this is God's word to one man. He says, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They're righteous altogether. They're more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. I mean, David is just pulling out all the stops to try to give you every analogy he can give you to say, look, when God speaks, embrace it. It's powerful. Look what it does in your life. It, it, it can give you joy. It can restore your soul. It can give you wisdom. It, it can enlighten your eyes. It, it, it can help you to endure forever and, and clean you up and, and give you truth and give you righteousness. And, and, and boy, you can enjoy it like you would gold or, or honey. David is saying this word, the words of the Lord, they're, they're powerful things. Going over to Psalm 107, I mean, all throughout the Psalms, David talks about the word of God, how powerful it was to one man. But turn over with me. We don't have time to look at them all. Turn over to Psalm 107, verse 20. I love this. He says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. You know, sometimes... I'll be talking with someone who's in trouble or dealing with a situation or maybe even a sickness, you know, and I just wish I had the right words to say that would make a difference in their lives, you know, but I'm just like, they're just words, you know, what can I do for them? And this is where we look at this and we go, okay, he sent his word and healed them? Like, I would think you'd need medicine or, or you would need some help or you would need something practical. I mean, words, words don't heal. No, words have power. But see, we need to get beyond the understanding of comparing God's words to man's words. They're not even on the same planet, okay? God's words are, there's a mystery that, that surrounds God's word that, that even as much as I, I, I like to think that I've embraced the word of God, I don't understand. Because as we talk even more, we're going to see how this word is living and active and breathing. And, and, and yet, no other words are like that. This says, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. God's word is powerful. David realizes this. Psalm 119 is considered to be the most the longest chapter in the Bible. It is. It's not just considered to be, it actually is. I think it's what, 170 some verses, 176 verses. 
And it's all about the Word of God. How precious, how valuable, what a treasure, how useful, how practical. I mean, this, this chapter, 176 verses, it says it again and again and again. In other words, like, I don't know what else to do to say to you. This Word of God is powerful. I've picked out a few that are just especially meaningful to me. Verse 1 says, How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. You know, we like to think we do things right. You know, I've had so many people say to me, and I'm sure I've said it, I'm not a bad person, you know. We want to be right. We want to be a good person. But we're sinners. But this implies that our way can be blameless when we walk in the law of the Lord. Just listening to what God has to say and then carrying it out. Verse 32. This this verse just has such a powerful place in my life. I, I return to it again and again as I look at myself and I look at what God's calling me to be. It says, I shall run the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. See, I know that in and of myself, my heart is too small to contain the big things of God too small. See, this tells me when I run the way of his commandments, he's going to enlarge my heart. He's going to make my heart bigger. Now, do I know how that happens? No, no, I don't. Recently, our ministry, a, a section of our ministry called Living Light, which is a ministry really to the dark places in our community. It's a mission area of established footsteps living light is and in living light we have a ministry area called cherished and it's just getting started but it's something that we've been praying over for the last two years and it's an outreach to women who are involved in the sex industry and we all know that that is a huge issue in our world today as sex trafficking has been brought to the forefront and let me just tell you from what I've learned over the last two years and in in studying and in praying and in being involved in some ministry outreach doing a lot of reading and talking to people the issue of sex trafficking is not an isolated issue prostitution strip clubs pornography sex trafficking it's all one big issue it's all linked together and tied together in a tangled web of sin well we started praying across the street from a strip club in our city about seven, eight months ago. We would go once a week and we would, several of us ladies would sit across the street from the strip club because we had no idea how to begin a ministry to these women, to reach out to them. And I will tell you that when we first began, my prayer really was, Lord, we just, you, you need to burn that place down. <laughs> you need to burn the place down. The place that we were actually sitting across the street from was used to long ago used to be a, a family pizza parlor that I went to when I was a little girl and it was one of my favorite places to go we would go a lot of times on Friday night it was called Shakey's Pizza Parlor and now it's it's a it's actually called Gentleman's Paradise which is such a lie <laughs> such a lie but as I would sit across that from that place and I would remember the memories of, of my childhood and just the things that went on there that, that were good and right and now thinking and even imagining maybe what was going on behind those doors my prayer was Lord burn the place down 
But see, as I ran the way of his commandments and I continued to be in his word and we continued to seek him about how he might have us to minister in this situation, God has enlarged our hearts. Because what God has done is shown us there are people in there. He loves those people. He died for those people. And those people don't need to just be put out of their jobs. Those people need to find Jesus. Those people need to come into a saving relationship. God needs to play out his destiny in their lives of righteousness and peace and joy. And see, God has enlarged our hearts as we've run the way of his commandments. I think one of the reasons that David was a man after God's own heart is because David wasn't afraid to be honest with God. And some of us, myself included, myself probably at the top of the list, we've got issues going on in our hearts and minds that God just wants to work in, but we hide behind those things and, and, and put up our own self-righteous garb. And, and David was like, look, my heart is small, but if I'll just run the way of God's commands, he'll enlarge my heart. It's one of the things that the spoken word of God, the written word of God, the word of God, spoken, written, however he gives it to you, will do. Verse 100 of Psalm 119 says, I understand more than the aged because I have observed thy precepts. In other words, you can be a young person if you embrace the word of God. You can have more understanding of life than the aged. That's one of the things that the Word of God can do. How did David rule the kingdom of Israel in his young age? How did he rule the aged? By observing the precepts, the Word of God. Verse 104 says, From thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. You know, I think a lot of times the reason we can't turn our backs on sin and walk away and allow God to sanctify our lives is because we don't have understanding. We don't understand how destructive that sin is in our life. We don't understand how ugly it is. We don't understand how God sees that sin. We don't understand how that sin is literally robbing life out from under us, out from our families, out from our personal being. We don't understand. But see, when we embrace the precepts of God, we get understanding. And then we begin to hate every false way. I've prayed, Lord, help me love what you love and help me hate what you hate. One of the ways God does that is through his word, his powerful word. David experienced this. He experienced getting this understanding and then hating the false way. David walked in a false way. We, we know stories of his, uh, his situation with Bathsheba, his situation with killing her husband. I mean, that was a false way if there ever was a false way. And when he was walking in it, he was all caught up in it. Just like you and I get caught up in sin. And yet, God, as he returned to the Lord in repentance and sought the Lord from the precepts of God, from the word of God, ministering to his soul, restoring the soul as we read earlier. From that, he got understanding and then he begins to hate the false way. I know that there are sins, there were sins in my life maybe 10 years ago that now I wouldn't have anything to do with. You know, I used to have some impure thinking in my mind. You know what? Now, because the Lord has given me understanding as I've been in his word and sought him, he is enabling me now to be able to go inside a strip club and minister to women because the Lord has grown this ministry up and we have launched this ministry now. 
The Lord has allowed me now to go inside and I hate the false way. There's nothing alluring to any of that kind of thinking or thought process or anything to me anymore because God has given me understanding. And many times that is exactly what we need. The Word of God is one of the riches and the treasures of God's Word is He gives us understanding about life, about sin and righteousness, about His way versus the way of the world. David knew that. Verse 105, this is one that I'm sure you know. It says, Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Oh, to have instruction for life. We have it. We have it. People, we have it. In the word of God. Verse 133 is the foundational verse for the ministry of established footsteps. It says, Establish my footsteps in thy word, and do not let any iniquity have dominion over me. Establish my footsteps in thy word. David knew. You know what? I have got to get my mind, my heart, my very life steps every minute of the day established on the word of God. So important, so important. And then one more from this chapter, verse 165. I love this scripture. It says, those who love thy law have great peace and nothing Nothing, read that again, nothing causes them to stumble. Those who love thy law have great peace and nothing causes them to stumble. David loved the word of God and nothing caused him to stumble. Now it did at one point, you know what? And that's when we're walking, I mean, with a 100% focus, you know? 100% love for the Word of God. And, you know, none of us have that. But you can have 75% love for the Word of God. And you could inch on up to 75.8% and maybe then 90%. I mean, we can always be moving upward, always pressing forward. As the Apostle Paul said, I press on to take hold of the prize. You know, where I live in a place where nothing causes me to stumble. Yeah, that's ideal. But boy, ladies, we can have great peace. Great peace when we love the Word of God. The Word can have such a power over us, not just over the landscape of the world like we looked at early on, but over the landscape of one individual, that individual being you. I would ask you as we read verse 165, are you someone who loves thy law? Are you having great peace? If you're not, maybe you don't love the Word of God. And I go back to what we said at the very beginning. At the top of your prayer list should be, Lord Jesus, give me a love for your word. Give me a love for your word. In just a moment, we're going to talk about Jesus, how he viewed the word, that he was the word. It's all wrapped in there together. And it's a beautiful mystery that we're just learning and growing to understand. Go with me to Psalm 138, verse 2, 138, toward 138, verse 2 and 3. It says, I will bow down toward thy holy temple and give thanks to thy name for thy loving kindness and thy truth. For truth is the word of God. For thou hast magnified thy word according to all thy name. On the day I called, thou didst answer me and made me bold with strength in my soul. 
I want to zero in on one part of verse 2. It says, I was magnified thy word according to all thy name. Some versions actually say, Thou hast put the word above thy name. Put the word above thy name. Don't you know how powerful the name of God is? <laughs> how we respect the name of God? How we reverence the name of God? David is saying here that the Lord himself holds his word above thy name. Above thy name. He magnifies the word. That's how the Lord looks at his word. How do you look at his word? Are you seeing how powerful it is? One of the prophets, Isaiah, wrote something about the word of God. He wrote lots of things, actually, about the word of God. But I want to turn to Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 11. Isaiah 55, 8 through 11. Isaiah writes, For my thoughts, and he's writing as the Lord's voice, he says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. In other words, look, I'm above you, okay? I've got higher thoughts, I've got higher ways. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. In other words, God's saying, I, I did all that. I, I, I made the rain and the snow and I planned out how all this was going to happen, these cycles of, of nourishing the earth and making it bare and sprout and seeds that will work to, to, to then furnish bread. I mean, I did all that. Did you have anything to do with that? No, no, God's saying. But what he says is, so shall my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. Some versions say it shall not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire. We need to grab a hold of the fact that when God speaks, it's powerful. It's not going to just float away like your words and my words. You know, sometimes I speak in my family. I say something, you know, and then I'm like, hey, did you do this? No, I forgot. You know, my words just floated on out the window. What do many parents say? In one ear, out the other. You know, went over the head. Whew, you know, gone. My words don't hold the power that I would like them to hold. But, but comparing my words to God's words is not even on the same planet. It's not even the same sphere at all. God's words are powerful. And if he speaks, what he says is going to accomplish his desire. Are we embracing that? Do we understand how powerful the word of God is? Again, as I just continue to share some of the things the Lord has shown me over the years that I'm trying to grab a hold of and walk out and establish my own footsteps in, I want us to look at Jesus and the word. <laughs> Because this brings in a whole new concept of, of understanding the Word of God. And something that maybe we can't even understand. In fact, I know we can't understand without the Holy Spirit giving us revelation on that. And giving us understanding and peeling back those layers so we can see with spiritual hearts and minds. But read with me in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay, so that makes it sound like, okay, God had some words he wanted to say, right? But listen to verse 2. It says, he was in the beginning with God. And we know from later reading in the scripture 
that Jesus calls himself the Word. He is the Word. He is the Word. So when it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, it's talking about Jesus. <laughs> he was in the beginning with God. And it says, all things came into being by him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So Jesus was the one who spoke, okay, because Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, they were all there at creation. He was the one who spoke and said, let there be light. They're three and one, one and three. How do we wrap our minds around that? How do we understand? Only by the Holy Spirit's revelation, that whole idea of the Trinity. But it says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. So this is a new concept here. Not only now is God speaking with his mouth, and amazing things are happening. Speaking with his mouth and changing the, the landscape of how people live and what's going to take place and playing out in the destiny of history, okay? Not only is all that going on, not only is he speaking into the hearts of men and restoring the soul and making clean and enlarging hearts and doing all these things, now the word, these words are actually going to become flesh. The power of this word of God is going to be personified in the person of Jesus Christ. We know that's true as we read through the Gospels and we see what happened when Jesus himself spoke. He spoke and someone was healed. Not just one person, but many people. I always marvel at the story of him speaking in one city and the nobleman's son was healed in another. <laughs> he just spoke the word and it happened. We saw people be restored from demon possession. We saw him call to people and they left their whole lives and came and followed him by the word of his mouth. We saw him speak and waves were calmed. Read with me in John 8. John 8, 31 and 32. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly disciples of mine and you shall know the truth. In other words, you shall know the words of God and that truth shall make you free. These words of Jesus himself have power. That's why we read back in Psalms, it says he sent his word and healed their diseases. Yes, God spoke and diseases were healed, but then Jesus came on the scene, power personified and spoke. And diseases were healed. People were set free, as it says here. In John chapter 17, Jesus himself is praying. It's the, what some people call the high priestly prayer. This was just moments literally before he was arrested. And Jesus is praying in the garden. And in, in verse 17 of chapter 17, he says, Sanctify them. Now, the word sanctify means to clean up, to make whole, to restore, okay? So Jesus is praying to God, and he's saying, sanctify them, and he's talking about all the followers. Sanctify them in the truth. In other words, in the truth. And he says, thy word is truth. People are asking all over the place, what, what's the truth? What's truth? What's your truth? My truth? Relative truth. There is no such thing. There's one truth, and it's the word of God. What God says is true, it's sure, it's right. It makes wise the simple, as we have read today. And he says, thy word is truth. Now that we understand, though, that Jesus is the word, the, the word of God it come to life, 
No wonder Jesus could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know, in our simple human minds, we cannot wrap our minds and our brains around this idea that God spoke, but then now this, this word actually became a person. How do, you, how do you understand that? Humble yourself before the Holy Spirit and say, teach me. I really want to learn. I really want to embrace. I want to look also at how the apostles, the ones that Jesus left behind to begin the work of the church, they evangelized the world and more disciples grew up and we're, we're a part of that trickle-down effect and oh, thank God for it. But I want to look at them, how they, how they viewed the word of God. And there again, this is certainly not an exhaustive look at this in, in, a, in this short time of about an hour's worth of teaching. We can't do that. I'm just sharing some things with you from my heart. But one of my favorite passages about the word of God that Paul shares in the book of Hebrews is Hebrews 4:12. He's actually talking in chapter 4 about just the believer being able to enter into rest. You know, we, we live such anxious lives, don't we? Even though the Bible says don't be anxious about anything, <laughs> but in everything by prayer and supplication present your request to God. It, it says that in Philippians 4. But we live anxious lives. We live anxious lives. The earlier followers of God, the earlier people who sought the Lord, they, they came short of the rest, of entering the rest of God. Verse 1 of chapter 4 tells us. And so Paul goes on to speak, and, and he actually says in verse 9, he says, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Many times we take this verse 12 that we're getting ready to talk about, and we just kind of pull it out, and we, and we use it to talk about the Word of God and how powerful it is. And, and I do that as well. But what understanding comes when we put it right in the midst of this chapter that it, that it actually is in? What Paul's really discussing is, look, people, as believers in the Almighty God, we ought to be able to enter into some rest with Him. And the way you do that, he says, let's therefore be diligent in verse 11 to enter that rest. And then he goes on to say, for the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. See, so often we live in this muddled up confusion of the life in the spirit and the life in the flesh, the life of our soul, our mind, our will and emotions. It all just gets wrapped up in there together and we're like, I don't know what God wants me to do. What am I supposed to do? Which way am I supposed to walk? How am I supposed to think? I know, I get there myself and I'm not in rest. I'm not in a place of contentment and peace with God. That great peace that we read about earlier, I'm not there. The word of God, Paul the apostle says, is living, it's active. I want to tell you something. That God has just really been impressing a sentence that he's been impressing on my heart this year. My word is not a book. See, we have the Bible and it looks like a book. It looks like all the other books on our shelves, right? 
Many of us have Kindles. I have one now, you know, and I've got the Bible on my Kindle and we've got the Bible on our phone and, and you know, you download books onto your Kindle or your phone and all these things. And so we, we download the Bible. We think of the Bible as a book. The Bible is not a book. It looks like a book. It's sold like a book. It's on the book bestseller list, but it's not a book. The Bible is the living, active Word of God that is sharper than any double-edged sword. In fact, in the Message Bible, it says it's like a surgeon's scalpel. You know, some of us need spiritual surgery. The Apostle Paul knew that. He, he knew it for himself. And what the Word of God does, it's so living and active. When we embrace what God has to say in our lives, that Word will get into us. It will get into us and literally divide out what is of the Spirit of God and what is of our soul, what is of our mind, our will, and our emotions. It lays it out there. It cuts through all of it, even if it's deeply ingrained stuff. And it lays it out and gives us understanding and gives us a choice to walk in the way of the Spirit or walk in the way of the flesh. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. I don't know any other book that can do that. Even the classics, even stuff that's written well, it's not even on the same sphere with God's Word. That's one of the things that the Apostle Paul said about the Word of God. And oh my goodness, once you have that surgery, there's rest, there's peace in the Word of God and in seeking Him in it. Romans 10, 17, some of us are like, I don't know, I just don't, I just don't have the faith for, for that kind of stuff, you know? I just get caught up in all these other things. Me too, I, I get you, I get you. Romans 10, 17, it tells us that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. <laughs> That's how you get it. That's how you get it. So if you don't have enough faith to even believe that the Word of God is the Word of God or to embrace the Word of God, you need to be in the Word and you just need to do it as a good spiritual discipline to say, you know what? I believe what God says is true. It's hard for me to believe that. The Bible says even if you have a small mustard seed of faith, it's enough to get you going, right? To, to move mountains. Maybe you can move that mountain in your life that just won't allow you to embrace the Word of God, that gets you so caught up in other people's words more than His. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Some of us just need to incorporate some just discipline in our lives, some spiritual discipline to just be in the Word of God so we can get the faith to even trust Him that He could do that work in us. Paul knew faith came by hearing the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is another passage that Paul speaks about, that Paul speaks about to Timothy talking to a, a younger believer who's going to be doing ministry, and he wants him to know how important the Word of God is. And he says, all Scripture, the Word of God, is inspired by God. Some versions say it's God-breathed. And that's what that word inspired means. It's God-breathed. And remember that because we're going to come back to it. And it tells us what it's useful for. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. There again, it's powerful. It's not just a book. It's the powerful word of God. And this is one of my favorites. In Ephesians, Paul speaks about the word of God and how it washes us clean. We kind of read that earlier as we looked at some things that David said. So we looked at some things that David said. But, you know... I love this that Paul says um, in Ephesians chapter 5. Flip over there. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, he's, he's talking about husbands loving their wives like Christ loved the church. And so let me just start in verse 25. He says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. Remember, Jesus is the word. He loved us with his own self, right? By dying for us. But the word of God is cleansing. It washes us clean. You know, there are days that I just need to be washed by the word. And I can almost literally sense the word of God cleaning me off cleaning those wrong thoughts, cleaning those mentalities that are just not in line with the way God thinks, with his words, his truth. You know, we look through the word of God and we could keep going and there's so much more that we could look at, but what we really have to just bring it all home to is to just say, what is our response to this powerful word of God? What are we planting our feet in? What is the foundation of where we're, we're trying to, what we're listening to every day? What are we giving our, our ears to hear and our hearts to embrace? I go back to Hebrews 4.12, where it says the word of God is living and active. It's not a book, people. I have to tell myself that. This is not a book. It looks like a book, but it's not a book. It's the living, active word of God. Back again over in 2 Timothy, we looked at verses 16 and 17. But let's also look at verse 15. Let's look at verse 15 as we consider our response. Actually, let's go to verse 14. Paul's speaking to Timothy. And Timothy is somebody that grew up in a household of faith. He says, you, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you've learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Continue in it. You've known it. Continue in it. Keep pressing into it. That should be our response. You know, sometimes I think, oh, I already know that. I know that. I know that. Yeah, the Lord corrected me one time, many times he has, but I was just really needing to hear from him one day, just, you know, just desperate to hear from God. And I got my Bible study stuff out, and at that time I was um, studying in the book of Matthew and um, just was anxious to see what the Lord, you know, anticipating, I guess is the better word, to see what the Lord was going to speak to me that day because I just, one of those days, I just needed a word from God, you know, I'm just saying and so I opened up my Bible and I was in Matthew 4, which is on the temptations of Jesus. And I'm just being honest. My first thought was, oh, I already know this. I need something fresh today, God. God, through the Holy Spirit, quickened me and corrected me. This is my word. It's a double-edged sword. It's living and active. You might have read this before, but I have something fresh to say to you in it today. Do you want to hear are you going to go look somewhere else? I repented quickly that day. Don't always, but I did that day. And God gave me one of the most powerful teachings I think I've ever taught. He showed me and ministered to me that day and then allowed me to develop some teaching from what he showed me that day. Many times, the Word of God, we keep pressing into it. Even though we've known it from childhood, we read it again and God shows us something new. It's a double-edged sword. He comes in and he cuts through right where we're at because it's living and active. Isaiah 66, if you'll turn back there with me. 
Isaiah chapter 66. We're going to look at a couple things here. In verse 2, God says, This is the one that I will look to, to him who is humble and contrite of spirit. In other words, that person who realizes, okay, I'm God and I, I'm just a person. I'm meaning God saying, I'm God. Okay, The person who realizes that God is God. Let me just make that clear. God is God, and I'm just a person. That's the person that, that God is going to look to and who trembles at my word. Now, is that tremble fear, or is it tremble just a reverence and awe, a, an embracing because we know we've found great treasure when God speaks in our lives? That's the one he will look to. In verse 5 of the same chapter, Isaiah says, Hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. We need to hear the word of the Lord. In Acts, just a couple more things here. Kind of flipping back and forth now. Did a journey through and now we're kind of going around. But Acts 17, Acts 17 verse 11 says this. Again, these are just some things that the Lord has shown me over the years. He's talking about some people, some of the believers in Berea, as Paul and Silas went there. And he says, Now these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. I love that. You know, as we consider our response, are we a person that received the words with great eagerness? God today? When God has spoken to you today, have you received his word with great eagerness? Are you more noble-minded than the people in the world who just are listening to all the other voices and spurning the truth? Are we receiving the word with great eagerness? Are we examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things are so? It's not in a way to go, I'm trying to prove God wrong. No, because we're saying, I need to know that what God says is true. I need to just be real and alive and active in my life. We're going to bring it all back to Genesis 2, verse 17. Genesis 2, verse 17. Verse 7, I'm sorry. Genesis 2, verse 7. It talks to us about when the Lord God formed man of the dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Do you ever just take a deep breath sometimes? It feels so good, doesn't it? I mean, it just it's like your lungs expand and you just feel so good. Can you imagine what it was like for Adam when that first breath of life was blown into his nostrils by the, by the breath of God himself? We think about that and we flip back over to 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 that tells us that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful. I want to encourage you today stand on a strong foundation that the word of God is truth. It's truth. And the word of God is God breathed. And just as it breathed life into the first man ever created so that man could live and be, the 
word of God literally can breathe life into us. It's God breathed. It's from his heart, from his mind, and it breathes into us life. It's like when we read it, when we study it, when we allow God to, to put it in our lives and we embrace it, it's like getting a deep breath for life. Oh, we need to plant our feet in this truth, this foundation, that the word of God is truth for our souls. God bless you.